All right, well, good morning. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, if Bailey read that earlier and you went, huh? Uh, well, that's what I did when I first started looking at it, too. So I studied a lot this week. <laughs> Hopefully I came up with some sensible things to tell you this morning. Now, we are going to skip verse 1 for now. Verse 1 says, <clears throat> be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, when Paul wrote that, and I, I read that, and I said, you know, that's going to take a sermon by itself. And then I thought, no, that's going to take a few sermons by itself. So we will probably come back to this in a sermon series and look at Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But for now, we're going to go verses 2 through 16. Let me read those to you again. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head was shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. All right, well, after hearing that, you realize that we better pray before we talk too much about that. Um, in all seriousness, today's passage is a difficult one for at least these two reasons. The first thing is it'll be challenging to understand exactly what the social and religious context was for these Corinthians that Paul was writing to. And then we need to get into Paul's head. And further than that, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we have to try to see the mind of God in this. And then we need to bring it forward to our day for application. So that's one big challenge. The other big challenge is deciphering what things were cultural and what things are eternal and timeless. Uh, it is not always easy to tell what things are cultural and what things are um, spiritual and what things are lasting. And so we have those two challenges today. So let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would give uh, wisdom and insight. Father, you've uh, blessed me with time to, to look into this and to study it and to meditate on it and, and to examine it thoroughly. And Lord, uh, I appreciate that time. But Father, we don't want to hear my thoughts. We want to hear your, uh, your thoughts. Lord, we want to understand this, uh, this difficult scripture and see what it has to do with us and how we're to obey it and how we're to deal with it. 
So Lord, we ask you to teach, and, and we pray that you will, and we have faith that you will. In, in having faith that you will, Father, I pray that we are really good listeners because we expect to hear from you. We love you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so the role of women in the church has been a hot topic for a number of years, and it still is, even today in the Southern Baptist Convention. I believe that mainline Protestant um, denominations that have women serving as elders and who also, and elders is just another name for pastor, you know. So mainline denominations that uh, have ordained women to serve as elders or pastors, I believe that they are out of line with what scripture teaches us. But I also believe that churches who ignore the giftedness and wisdom of their godly women are operating foolishly and have handicapped themselves by, by tying one hand behind their back, by sidelining many of their best and brightest. And we don't want to do either one. You know, we tend to overcorrect when we see something wrong. If, if you're driving down the road and Bambi jumps out, you may swerve, but then if you do, you may start fishtailing a little bit. And if you do, you don't want to have a wreck, so you steer real hard the other way, right? Well, that causes problems because then you go too far that way and then after a while you're all spinning around and wrecking, right? We don't want to oversteer. You know, when our Catholic, uh, Catholic friends um, give too much attention and too much veneration to Mary, sometimes we oversteer by ignoring this incredible godly woman that we should imitate in so many ways. She's a hero of the faith, but we don't talk about her because we don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to go where our Catholic friends have. Or, you know, sometimes we'll see a faith healer, and this guy will be a charlatan. He'll be after money and after fame, and we, don't, we, don't, we see that and we don't like it. It doesn't glorify God, and we say, we're not going to be like that. So then we end up overlooking passages in James that say, hey, if you're sick, go to the elder and get the elders to get together and pray for you and anoint you with oil. And then sometimes we don't do that because we don't want to get into the faith healing kind of weirdness stuff. Um, you know, another example of that is people who kind of make a spectacle of themselves and perhaps succumb to social and psychological present, uh, pressures that manifest the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And some dude will, you know, pretend to knock people down and they'll all fall down. And you, you wonder, what is wrong with these folks? Why are they going along with this? Well, it may be from social or psychological pressure, and we say, well, we don't want to do that. So we oversteer to the point that a lot of Baptists kind of ignore the Holy Spirit altogether instead of depend on him uh, to live a godly and sanctified life. So what we want to do is find that middle ground where we realize what the Bible teaches and we don't oversteer into something foolish. Finding the correct middle ground is difficult, but by God's grace, we're going to try to do that today. Now, verse 2 says, Now I commend you because you remember in everything, me in everything, and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now he commends them for listening to him, and that's really good because overall this letter is certainly not one of commendation. In the first uh, 10 chapters, he's been telling them, Hey, y'all got all this wrong, fix it. And most of chapter 11 through 16, he's going to keep saying, oh, this is wrong too, fix this. But he commends them in this one area. 
because they were apparently holding to the stuff that he explicitly taught them while he was there. Uh, But they seem to have messed up pretty much everything that came up after he left. (laughs) So he says, look, I'm glad you remember me. I'm glad you're asking what to do in these situations. So our first guiding principle today that we need to learn from this passage is that there always has to be in any functioning system a chain of command established. So we're going to see God's hierarchy here in chapter, in uh, verse 3. He says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, I'm actually going to ask for an answer here, so y'all holler back at me. Who has the translation this morning that is not the ESV? Anybody? Okay. What does verse 3 say? All right, his version, which is the New King James, says the head of a woman is who? A man. The head of a woman is a man. What my translation says is the head of every wife is her husband. That's a pretty big difference, isn't it? Uh, Why is it different? Well, if we read verse 3, while I was studying this, I said, hmm, that's, that's not saying the same exact thing. I need to take a look at this. Now, when I look at verse 3 in the Greek, uh, the word there for wife or woman was uh, gynaikos, which comes from the word gune, and we can, we can hear that in English like a gynecologist. That's where we get that word gune. And so I said, well, what does gune mean? And the problem is it means either wife or woman, depending on the context. So we see that this one word could mean wife or it could mean woman. So we have to see what it's saying around it. Now, could it be that all women are to be in subjection to all men? Well, obviously not, right? Gabriel would like that to be. No, that's not good. That's not how it is. Uh, I feel confident that the best translation is the one that we have here on the wall, which is every wife must be in subjection to her husband. There has to be a chain of command in any organization. You know, uh, Pam, I know you've been starved of sports analogies, so we're going to talk about football for a second. The quarterback is the play caller in the huddle, okay? Now, it doesn't matter if, uh, if the running back is this all-star guy. He's been recruited by every team in the SEC. This guy is going to play college ball, and unless he gets hurt, he's going to be playing on Sunday someday. I mean, there's this super talented halfback, okay? And he's taking the play calls from the quarterback. Now, the quarterback, he's a decent athlete. He's the quarterback of a high school football team, but no junior college is even prospecting him, okay? He's, he's a good guy, but he's a high school guy going to play high school ball. Now, the most talented person on the field is that halfback, but he's not the play caller because that's not how the system works, okay? So sometimes, uh, you know, God can put the husband in charge of the wife, but it it doesn't mean that he's smarter, doesn't mean he's better, more talented, more gifted. It doesn't mean any of that. Is God the Father superior in worth or nature to God the Son? Well, we have to say no, right? They are equal. They're equal in worth and nature. So, when we're, hold, when we're told that Jesus is in a subordinate role to the Father, it's not because he is less valuable. It's because there has to be an order. 
Is my wife inferior in worth or nature to me? Uh, Any of you that know us would say, absolutely not. Now, I'm better at one thing for sure. I am better at being a man than she is. (laughs) And she is far better at being a woman than I am. However, in in our home, there has to be a hierarchy set in place. She is in a subordinate role at home. If I were a pharmacy technician at the Walgreens where she works, I would be in a subordinate role to her at work, right? Because there has to be an order and a structure. Now, does any of this change the intrinsic value of either one of us? Of course it doesn't, right? Dr. Rogers used to say, anything without a head is dead, and anything with two heads is a freak. (laughs) So there has to be a head and there has to be uh, an order there. God's structure for us, as we see in this passage of Scripture, is God the Father, God the Son, the man, and then the wife. You may ask where the Holy Spirit is in this lineup. <laughs> Please don't infer from the, from the lack of uh, the words, the Holy Spirit here, that he's not playing a role here. The way that I am able to submit to my head, which is Christ, the way I'm able to submit to Christ is through the power and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The way that a godly wife is able to live in a a submissive way with her husband is through the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been married for 25 years, and I've learned a lot about how to be married and and how to do that well and, and happily. I've told you that I'm a much better husband than I used to be. So let me tell you how submission works in our home. First, let me tell you what it is not. (laughs) Okay, I don't ever come home from work and say, hey, what's for supper? And she says, well, I'm thinking we'll have sandwiches tonight. And I say, no, woman, as uh, head of the house, I decree that you go make a lasagna instead. Get back in the kitchen where you belong. That is not (laughs) how submission works in my house. I suggest it not be the way submission tries to work in your house because you may not be married very long. And if your wife is a godly woman who doesn't believe in divorce, then it just may be your lifespan that's not very long, okay? (laughs) Because she's not going to be happy about that. So let me tell you what it is. Uh, Actually, in Ephesians 5.25, the Bible tells us how the man is supposed to act. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and ruled over it with an iron fist, no, and gave himself up for her. So that's how we're supposed to do this thing, guys. Your wife is not your slave, she is your treasure. So here's what submission does look like in our home. Uh, Four years ago, we were talking to one another about moving from North Mississippi, where all our friends were, all our family was, and packing up and moving to South Mississippi, where we didn't know a soul. All right, we talked about that and talked about the pros and cons, and I talked to Brother Brandon a lot to see if we'd be compatible, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Now, the way the decision was made is, she said, look, if the Lord is calling us down there, we need to go. And she was entirely supportive of what she thought the Lord was calling me to. And so if we got that wrong four years ago, which I don't believe we did, if we got that wrong, it would have been all my fault because she was saying, hey, uh, I'm not going to stand in the way of what the Lord calls you to do. 
Tony Evans, on one of our small groups, listens to Tony Evans a lot and, and likes him, and I do too. He said, spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man. Okay, So if we got it wrong four years ago in moving down here, it, the blame would have been 100% on me. Okay, Not because she didn't have an opinion or a voice or anything like that, but because she said, hey, I trust that God is going to lead you and you're going to lead us the right way, right? So that's the first thing. The second point is God's hierarchy should be reflected in how we look. And I know some of y'all are going, man, he's talking about covering your head. I don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's all under this, uh, this umbrella here. God's hierarchy should be reflected in how we look, how we dress, and how we act. Verse 4 says, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Now this is a play on words. I don't think he's saying if a man prophesies with his head covered, he dishonors his head. I think he's saying if you, the thing on the top of my shoulders, if you pray with that covered, you're dishonoring your head, which I just said is Christ. Okay, So he's saying you dishonor Christ if you do that. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, meaning the husband, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. All right, we'll explain that in a minute. But first, let me point out, and I want us all to realize here, that in the midst of talking about whether your head ought to be covered or not, and that's what grabs our attention, right? Because that's weird and we don't know what's going on there. In the midst of that, he says, every wife who prays or prophesies. So these wives are praying and prophesying, okay? Don't miss that. Verse 6, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair off or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And I'll get there in just a second. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves, it is, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. Okay. In our society, what does it say about a woman if she wears a hat to church? You're looking at me like, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't think it says anything, right? Now, it may indicate that, ooh, Easter has snuck up on me, because normally our ladies don't wear a hat to church unless it's Easter. But it doesn't give any kind of uh, proclamation about your status or your marital status or anything else if you wear a hat or you don't wear a hat. It's not really something we expect to see except on Easter, but it doesn't tell us anything about their life situation. In this Corinthian society, however, the wearing of a veil meant that a woman was under the authority of her husband and that she was off the market, okay? She didn't need you looking at her because she wasn't available. In our day, I think it comes closest to a woman dressing modestly. Now, my wife should not dress in such a way that she indicates that she is trying to attract a new and different mate, right? (laughs) 
because uh, she is taken. So she doesn't want to give the impression that she is not. Now, uh, young women who maybe are in the market, uh, they should not dress inappropriately either. What they should do is fail to wear a wedding ring, right? (laughs) We who are married wear wedding rings, and that indicates to other people that we are not available. Every man wants his wife to be attractive, but there's a difference between looking good and put together and looking like you're trying to demand the attention of every man around you, right? I think we've all seen the difference there by the way you dress. Now, the next question we need to deal with here is what is the business about shaving her head if she won't cover her head? The shaving of the head of of a woman who disgraced her husband by committing adultery was prescribed by the Roman law, which applied to the Roman colony of Corinth. So in Corinth, if you had gone out and had an adulterous affair, um, the punishment for that was that you would have your head shaved. So if a guy saw a woman with a shaved head, she was recognized to be an adulteress. If the wife does not cover her head, verse 6 says, by implication, she is regarded as someone who refuses to recognize her relationship with her husband. Uh, She's refusing to... uh, conform to that marital status for the wife not to cover her head in public was a disgrace so verses 7 through 10 again reiterate that hierarchy that we already covered earlier pretty thoroughly and at the end of verse 10 we find a confusing little phrase we're going along and we're hearing about covering your head not covering your head and he says at the end of uh, verse 10 he said that if a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. (laughs) All right, what do angels have to do with it? That's what I asked myself, right? I'm reading along, and I said, because of the angels? Now, there have been some weird theories about this that I have heard multiple times. There's a lot of crazy speculation about how uh, maybe these angels uh, find women with long hair so irresistibly attractive that it messes them up when they're in worship. See, they're, they're going to hang around in worship and they're going to enjoy the worship, but then they see this long, pretty hair on this woman and that distracts them and, and grabs their attention, all right? I think that's foolish and insulting to angels, and I wouldn't want to insult any angels. Angel means messenger. And in our language, if I, if I want to say a messenger, like Melissa and I are going to go to the Southern Baptist Convention and we need to have a, a business meeting soon, and vote for us to be messengers. So we're going to be your angels to the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Now, uh, there wasn't a different word for this, uh, you know, a messenger and this different creature, which is an angel, right? So messenger may have meant angel. It may have meant just messenger. So it doesn't have to mean an inhuman creature. Does Paul have supernatural beings in mind here? I don't know. But it is, it is good and proper when we meet together for worship for us to reflect God's hierarchy regardless of whether he's talking about angelic beings or people who are visiting our church and watching what we do. So if he's saying uh, other people or messengers from heaven, either way it is right and proper for us to dress in a way, act in a way, and, and appear in a way that gives credence to what he has already said about the hierarchy of things, where God the Father is um, head over Christ, who is head over man, 
who is head over his wife. So I don't know for sure which one Paul is talking about. But we know that for us to reflect God's hierarchy in our public worship is a thing that's proper regardless of who it is that's looking. While we're under the heading of God's hierarchy should be reflected in how we look, dress, and act, let's look at verses 14 and 15. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now, do you see why I said this passage is difficult? (laughs) Because I would like to say that this goes under the category of men should look like men and women should look like women. I can't say that for certain, though, because when we read Scripture, we have to see what he's referring to. You know, I was talking earlier about how sometimes it's difficult to find what is cultural and what is not cultural, but what is mandated in Scripture. So in an effort to be uh, accurate to biblical exegesis, I have to point out that Paul does not appeal to culture here, but to nature. He says in verse 14, Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? So men, I hate to break it to you, uh, but if you're thinking of going for that Fabio look, I would advise against it because nature says you shouldn't do it. So our next point is that men and equally are, men and women are equally loved and valued by God. Verse 11 and 12 says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. If you are a Christian woman, there is absolutely no uh, reason for you to think that you are a second-class citizen in the kingdom or in the church, because that's not the case. There are roles that you can't fill, and there are roles that I can't fill. All right, it, it wouldn't be proper for you to serve, if you're a woman in here, as pastor of this church, but I don't get to be a mother. It's okay. <laughs> We're called to different roles. That is by God's design, and he's wise, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Now, if you read this and you say, okay, that seems to be what Paul is saying, but I don't like it. Well, there's a verse just for you. Verse 16 says, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So Paul says, hey, if you disagree with what I'm saying here, you're going to be by yourself because the truth laid out here is what Christians all practice. Now, times have changed from Paul (laughs) because you can go to a church now where women serve as elders, where women are the preaching pastors, and uh, you can certainly find evidence of homes that claim to be Christian where the wife would scoff at the notion of submission, but that doesn't make it the right thing. That's just what Paul is saying. Hey, if you want to go out of order, you're going to be by yourself. Well, now you'll have company, but it doesn't justify going out of order. All right, so... With this weird, confusing passage, I hope we've seen a few things that we can say that's clear and that is how God intends things to work. So what do we do with it? Number one, ask yourself, was God's word accurately explained today? And some of you may say, I don't know. (laughs) But if you think it was, then you go on to number two and you say, if so, will I obey God or will I not obey God? And number three, you can put that up for us, Angie, under the what to do thing. 
Wives, submit to your husbands by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And husbands, submit to Christ and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now wives, what do you do with this if you are new to this? If you are new to this and you say, look, maybe I recently became a believer and this is not how my husband and I have operated. What I would suggest you do is talk to your husband Tell him that you're going to submit to his leadership because you want to honor and obey God above all else. That will put a tremendous amount of responsibility and burden on that guy. Husbands, what do you do if you're new to this? Well, don't tell your wife that the Bible and the preacher said that she should submit. That's not a good idea. (laughs) Instead, see, you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not the Holy Spirit. And you can't force her sanctification on her. God is in charge of that, and he will take care of it better than you ever could. Instead, love her as Christ loved the church. Lead her lovingly and sacrificially. Put her welfare above yours. I don't think that any, well, I'm sure some would. I don't think that very many women would be opposed to that type of leadership that is self-sacrificial. And that instead of saying, hey, I'm the boss, says, hey, I'm the servant, and I want to take care of your needs. Remember, none of this works without the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We also, though, besides the Holy Spirit, we benefit tremendously from uh, the encouragement of other believers. You know, like I said a few minutes ago, my wife and I have been married for 25 years. And as that insurance commercial says, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two, right? And uh, Joe and Yvonne just celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. There are folks in this church who have been married for a long time and have been doing it well for a long time. And they can mentor the ones of us who are younger and who are coming behind them. There's great wisdom and encouragement to be found within the church. So let me suggest to you that you get yourself involved in a small group so that you can take advantage of it and so that you contribute to it. All right? Now, this hierarchy that God lays out for us None of it works unless we, the husband and the wife, are directly submitted to Christ. Now the way we are submitted to Christ is if we're in relationship to Him. So let me take a moment and tell you, if you're here today and you say, you know, I'm just, I'm checking out Christianity, or I'm checking out how this might work, and I'm not fully committed to it, let me talk to you for a minute. And if you're here today and you said, man, I've been saved since I was a little kid, but... I haven't really been growing in my faith. Well, let me tell you, if you've not been growing and advancing and maturing, it may be that you weren't born in the first place, okay? So just listen to me, and let's see if you know for certain that if you died, you'd go to heaven. All right, we sinned and rebelled against God. Our forefathers did that. Adam and Eve did that. They decided, hey, I'm not going to listen to my creator. I'm going to listen to this serpent, and I'm going to put my faith in his word instead. And since then, humanity has been in a, in a bad spot. We have been rebelling against our Creator. Now, God solved the, the problem of our broken relationship by sending His Son into the world to live a perfect, righteous, holy life where everything that we should have done, He did. Everything that we were powerless to do perfectly, He accomplished. And 2 Corinthians 5, toward the end of it, says that 
God will take His merit, His goodness, His perfection, and trade it for our sin. And if we will place our faith in Him, then He will take our record of wrongs and put it on Christ, who paid for it on the cross. And He will take Christ's merit and good works and credit them to our account. And then we can again have fellowship with God. So if you've been going to church for 30 or 40 or 50 years, and that's not a reality in your life, Let's make it a reality today. And if you've never heard that before and you say, I want to do that, let's do that today. Now, let me say one more word about our scripture here in regard to our MAT nominations. Guys, continue to pray over this because we want to elect people to serve our church. Um, (laughs) Sometimes people talk about getting in touch with their feminine side. You know what I mean? You know what my feminine side is? My feminine side is right there. That's my feminine side, is my wife. And so as a church, we need to have the understanding and the, and the wisdom of our men in leadership. And we need to have the understanding and wisdom of our godly women. So that's why this ministry advisory team is hopefully going to be made up of both of those. Now, these aren't pastors, they're not elders. We're not asking them to do something that is a biblical role that they shouldn't fit in. What we're asking them to do is be on an advisory team so that I can have the benefit of godly men telling me stuff and godly women telling me stuff and keeping me in line to serve the church the very best way, right? So pray about these nominations, pray about these votes as we're going to be doing them over the next few weeks. Because we need, uh, we need both sides of this. Brother, what are we going to sing?